the football show on Off the Ball with Sky. Watch every live Premier League game this season on Sky Sports, BT Sport, and Premier Sports. I prepare to anything I can well, to do play it then. Again. Do it then. What about your start to the game? I was, it wasn't bad, was it? <laughs> Why should an honest answer be a mistake? How can a modern day manager not have a mobile phone? Why should he? Oh. Welcome along to the football show. So later on, we will chat to Andy Mitten and assess just how damaging this is for Eric Ten Hag and Manchester United. I think there's a general sense this is more down to City's brilliance as opposed to Ten Hag or Manchester United in some sudden crisis. So Andy will join us later on. In the meantime, very happy to say Miguel Delaney of the London Independent is with us. He was at the game yesterday. Evening, Miguel. Thanks for the time. Evening. How are we? Very well. So Man City, I think we can safely say at this stage, look uh, destined to win their seventh Premier League title in 11 years. They will start next season as favourites to win their eighth in 12 years. And on we go. You uh, tweeted and had a thought during the demolition job. Great football, but not good for football. So uh, I think increasingly we can all be uh, struck by that sense. I presume, Miguel, that's twofold. One, dominance never great. And two, how it's funded. Yeah, basically, it's. The, I mean, ultimately, on any level, what the, the lifeblood of sport is a competitive balance and unpredictability. And can anyone? I mean, what would you predict about City now? Uh, does anyone doubt they're going to get over ninety points again? They've done it three times in the last five seasons, and now they've added this super guarantee of goals. Uh, and then, of course, the other side of that is, as you say, it's just the nature of this project, which is. A sports watching watching project, and it, I mean it, it is something that strikes even about these um, about I suppose even the way kind of city are consumed about general discussion, um, and also actually what Haaland's on because I mean my I must say my reading has always been and actually this is actually something that's come across in say uh, click throughs we get say from if you do a piece on Manchester City. And that it leaves people a little bit cold. I don't think it leaves too much much emotional reaction. Um, and I think that's that's primarily because e- even though I would argue that I think the nature of the city project should be discussed much more. Obviously, at, at, at a very basic level, most people are aware that they've they spent an awful lot since two thousand eight to get to here. And because of the amount of that spending, it, basically people don't describe the same meaning to what they're doing to 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 their wins. Um. I think maybe Haaland has slightly changed that because ultimately it's very difficult not to be drawn to him. I mean, I, I suppose to put, to put it as an example as well, say, even though City have put together some brilliant football over the past few years because they played under Pep Guardiola and a Pep Guardiola in an almost perfect environment for him, um, it's been very, it's, a, it's kind of led to an almost, uh, I think it was Rory Smith that once put it, it's, it's an intellectual reaction rather than an emotional reaction. They're not going to, bring out and morning as beautiful as it is mm. to watch it, it it just feels a little bit sterile and certainly it's not like the way say Pep Guardiola's Barcelona between 2008 and 11 were and uh, where you know they became a point in television anyone who's a football fan basically at least had the ambition of trying to get to camp now at one point during that spell to just watch this historic team that just hasn't been the case with City uh, but Haaland has probably given the kind of the, the project Haaland has probably been an astute buy for reasons more than just the fact that he could well get 40 goals this season and maybe kind of finally drive them to the European Cup. He's also, he draws you in. He's like, it's it's impossible not to be struck for me. He, he himself has become 
appointment television. Mm. But then, and, and again, it's it, it's just something that struck me yesterday as well, in that, like, you know, M- M- Martin Tyler was naturally getting excited, say, about um, but the way City were playing and the football. Um, but I, I, I do wonder about how whether that excitement is shared among the general football pe- uh, public because of what what City are, um, and it, and it's something that only ever really comes up at intervals, really. Which is, I suppose, like it, it did flare up, say, when the Super League was discussed. Um, but it's almost like it's it, it does feed into this bigger issue that this. I mean, this is really quite, when you actually stand back, and, and one of the things I always think about when I'm kind of writing about this topic is, you know, when it's being discussed, um, how is this going to look from the removal of history? That we're kind of, we're in a situation where it's been normalized that a state, that Amnesty International, openly called a sports washing project, has been allowed to use a football club, a cultural institution, you know, whatever you want to describe it, that they've, they've used wealth that is almost unlimited um, to basically distort football, and that this is kind of almost happened by creep. It's just it's just something that people accept. It's it's normal in the game, um, and, and of course with that, um, very much fired and driven by all sorts of bigger questions that Amnesty's own description of a of a sports washing project touches on. Yes, and if uh, so, if you're making the interesting point there that Manchester City leave people a touch cold and. We've had similar conversations here on the show about that point in the past and, and agreed Haaland adds a certain flavour and richness to the equation so maybe that changes things. But for instance, uh, I would presume, and I say this with the greatest respect, I would also presume your pieces on sports washing leave those same fans cold as well. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, they do get a reaction. Now, I suppose some of, some of that is reaction, the, uh, inevitable, I suppose. And, and it, 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 a, a certain tribal aspect to this camp can't be overlooked either. People like it when the regular champions are criticised yeah. in that way because it kind of, um, not that it excuses their own club or whatever, but, you know, it, 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 I suppose it makes it easier to accept if they're not winning. So there's that element. But I I, I must say, actually, I find that um, the, the most interest, the most general interest in anything about City is usually when you're discussing the bigger issues around right, the club. Right. Maybe that's for inevitable reasons, but the, but that 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 is a distinctive trend. And I, I, I actually think there is an appetite to discuss this, uh, especially given how attuned we've all come to these issues by, say, the, uh, the, tw- the 2022 World Cup. Uh, and I, I mean, that's another element. I mean, it, it does feel like there's, there's such an openness to, to for us all to talk about Qatar. Mm. Yet, of course... Qatar, and this is where it gets, this stuff gets really interesting from a geopolitical perspective. Qatar, the staging of Qatar was almost a direct response to Abu Dhabi buying Manchester City. Qatar had been interested in the club. They tried to buy Manchester United at that point. They tried to buy Roma. Uh, Qatar and Saudi Arabia are both very much following the Abu Dhabi playbook from that time. But obviously, once once the purchase actually took place, it very much hastened Qatar wanting these sort of assets in football. And well, I, I was about to say you don't get a greater asset than a World Cup. Well, actually, I would say owning a football club outright is probably a bigger asset now and a more valuable and powerful asset. Mm. Whereas hosting a, a tournament, it's almost like sports washing from a from a previous era. Now, I think it's owning a club is a much more sophisticated element. But I mean, obviously, that is. It's it's all part of a of a much bigger issue, right? To the, basically the politics of um of the Gulf blockade, and yet while one one element of that is now is really being talked about a lot, I think for a lot of people 
the 2022 World Cup, it's they don't really see it as a normal World Cup. Mm. Um, we, we haven't quite reached that stage with Manchester City or even Paris Saint-Germain to an extent. Newcastle is different, I suppose, because by the time the takeover happened, um, it was obviously discussion of it was everywhere. It does actually feel as if um, uh, Newcastle are actually scrutinised in a way that City... And even, even the way, uh, very early on, Eddie Howe got questions in a way that... Hasn't really happened with Pep Guardiola that much, no. I would say, uh, and, I, and I think that is basically because I mean it, it, it's it's almost there's an element of a first mover thing. Whereas when Abu Dhabi took over Manchester City in 2008, no one really knew what this was about. No. And I think I think since about 2016, 2017, through the work of human, human rights workers like Nick McGeehan, I, I think it's a much more aware football world now. Um, but and, that's something. And, and what, why do you think, for instance, when? Eddie Howe was getting those questions and there was that increasing um, scrutiny and, 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 and a, set, a reassessment of, of what's happening here. Why do you think that contagion didn't go to a Man City press conference with the same intensity that Eddie Howe was getting those questions around that same time? I mean, I, I appreciate it at, at random points it's hard at this stage to suddenly ask Guardiola about it. But uh, I did wonder when Eddie Howe was really being put under a spotlight, would Pep Guardiola be getting the same questions? He didn't seem to overly, not that I remember. Well, I, I was at that press conference because it was, after, it was after the Chelsea game, and that was such a, obviously a kind of um, it, it, it was a remarkable timing for a game like that because, of course, it was just right in the middle of when Abramovich had been sanctioned. Really, the most intense discussions over ownership yet. So, for them to be playing a club like what this Newcastle project are at that time yeah. felt remarkable. And of course, then because what re, what prompted the um, the question of Eddie Howe, and it, it was Tarek Panja who asked the first question there. And it was basically about the, the previous day that number of uh, of capital punishments that had happened in 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 Saudi Arabia. So again, there was an element of timing to it. Yeah. And I suppose, and, and this is another thing with kind of Abu Dhabi as well. The the issues are have never been as overt, say, as with Saudi Arabia. Not least because Abu and Abu Dhabi are the most powerful emirate in the UAE, but the, the UAE for longer and much more so than Saudi Arabia has been presenting a more kind of, um, um, a, a more presentable face to the world, right down to the fact that people go on Dubai or go to Dubai on holiday without even thinking about any of these issues. Mm. Uh, and it was interesting, actually, I was talking to, um, I was talking to someone who's been involved in, in the World Cup preparations uh, and obviously, of course, at this point, there's been all sorts of kind of PR and briefings happen. But the point was made, in, one of the points that was made to me that at one stage when Qatar were trying, obviously, to kind of resist the amount of criticism they're getting, they had, there was some sort of focus group put together. And um, people were asked, have you ever been to the Middle East? And a lot of people said no. Then the, the, the group was asked, have you ever been to Dubai? And a lot of hands immediately shot up. Mm. Um and we're obviously on a, on a kind of a real tangent here, but it, it, but even that strikes me. It's remarkable we're talking about these issues at all when this, when this is football. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's amazing the game has got to this point, but it's it's a really it's a, it's a culmination of a 30, 40 year process. Yes, and this term sports washing, which we talk about all the time. So I don't know if initially it was intended to just be a case of good PR, and we can outweigh the negatives with all the positive PR we get from not just owning a club but owning a successful club maybe that was the initial intention 
or maybe not. I don't know. But I, I don't buy that anymore. I don't like. I, I don't think that's working anymore. The uh, sports washing efforts, be it Qatar, Saudi Arabia, maybe Abu Dhabi to a lesser extent, all they have done for, I think, myself and lots of people in this part of the world is serve to highlight the abuses. They, like the, the, the ownership of these golf tours and football clubs has simply shone a global spotlight on the abuses. And so I, I don't know what you think. To me, it doesn't seem like they're worried about good PR anymore. It's just simply a flex. It's just simply we are powerful. Not only do world leaders travel over on bended knee begging for oil, we're putting it up in bright neon lights, i.e. football clubs and, 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 you know, sport as the eyes of the world. We run the world here. That's how powerful we are. I don't think they're sitting at home going, oh, you know, Twitter's leaning more in our favour than they were six months ago. I, I, I think even they realise that anybody with, with a brain can see through that facade. Yeah, yeah and that's another element to that, and I, I think you're absolutely right, I think public relations or reputation is at this point only a kind of a side element to that. But even if you take it from that perspective, if you, if you think about what's actually happened here, and I think that this is this speaks to the, the greater sophistication to, you're talking about, even if these ownerships have brought more criticism from fans, from media, from experts, mm -hmm. that is still, it's still only part of much wider discussion of these, of, of these states. So say, let's say the example of Saudi Arabia with Newcastle even, and, and, or, or LIV Golf, or, or whoever, whoever it's, it's described, Live Golf or whatever. Mm. Um, so what, if you, five years ago, what would people's general if they, if they were asked to talk about Saudi Arabia, what would they say? They'd probably talk about a repressive regime, capital punishment. Um, whereas now, okay, that 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 has flared up again. Or the such discussions flare up a little bit more because they they own uh, New Newcastle or staging Anthony Joshua fights. Um, but all that is in a much wider bubble now, where Saudi Arabia has also been talked about in more neutral terms, purely by dint of they just because. They own these clubs, it, it, so it does. It's a kind of a, it's a quite a subtle process, really, mm. and 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 it's a gradual process as well. But again, I mean, I, I, for, I mean, for me, and having having spoken to a lot of people about this and trying to articulate what sports washing is, I think the general feeling now is that sports washing itself is an outdated term because it doesn't really, it doesn't really kind of properly articulate what's happening here, which is much more hard power. Than it, I think it's more about integration, and really. I mean, because, you know, again, the root of much of this is basically creating a future for when the oil runs out and maintaining that power, but without necessarily making manifest changes to the state. Because I mean, in any, by, by a lot of normal uh, conditions, pe people would raise questions maybe about doing business with um, states that are responsible for uh, highly criticized human rights records. Whereas what this does, I mean, it presents, it was one of the guys in Human Rights Watch said to me, basically, when, when suddenly they're in charge of Manchester City or, or Newcastle and, you know, they're bringing joy to a local population, then it does on a very kind of basic level also create the perception these are good guys to do business with. In Manchester alone, yeah. it's been the ownership of Manchester City has been the launch pad to kind of build this construction empire in the city. Yeah. Uh, also, yeah. if you want to go even further than that, I suppose, and I think that's a, that's a big thing here as well. It's true, true investment, and sport is only one arm of this, true investment in so many 
so much of the infrastructure of of Western life, which is which is what they're what they're targeting, it basically becomes very difficult to criticize, very difficult to kind of. I mean, one of the most immediate responses you get when you write anything about any of this is accusations of hypocrisy in some way. Mm. But but that but that's partly because the entire they've made the entire world hypocritical. I mean, look at an example here. It was put to me recently when I was doing a piece on how few football federations have actually backed the, um, the, the basically very little was being done to put pressure on Qatar that they hadn't backed this campaign by the human rights groups to pay up FIFA, which is the FIFA match their prize money for the World Cup of compensation to victims. And it was basically put to me that, well, f- first of all, there's we're in the middle of an energy crisis. Uh, and if, there, if we didn't have the energy crisis as a, as a consequence of the invasion of Ukraine, that you'd probably see much more MPs or politicians speaking out against Qatar. That hasn't really happened. There hasn't been much momentum behind that at all. And equal, but look as a basic example as well. Say when I when I contacted so like for that piece, which is about a month and a half ago now, I contacted all 31 of the qualified federations, not um, not not Qatar themselves. But say I, I published a response. Say with Spain. In Spain's response, they didn't they didn't actually mention Qatar at all. They did. They, they gave me some quite strange response about how well our commitment to human rights is shown by how when we played a Super Cup in Saudi Arabia, we demanded certain measures like that women be allowed into the stadium. Um, but, but, but of course, what's what's the wider context of that as well? Well, Qatar has pumped four billion into the Spanish economy recently. Mm. Um, so it does make the entire discussion very difficult. Yeah. And, 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 and this is what I, I suppose to, to come back around. It's it's not about public relations. It's not about reputation. It's about integration. And and suddenly, where we basically we're in a situation where we are doing business and have to live with um, states who are ultimately responsible. If 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 people were actually sat down and, and confronted with the reality of what happens with, I mean, say, say even an element of how um, how any dissent is responded to in the UAE mm. or, or, or on, a, on a much kind of more immediate and relevant level, how might the reality of how migrant workers have been treated in Qatar, it, it, it immediately changes mind. And it's, it's something that actually I've been, I've been told about within football as well. That's with, with, with players. And it's why it's important for human rights groups to get to speak to, to squads out of the World Cup, something that not too many federations have allowed because suddenly players are ultimately like a lot of people, they're, they're sentimental. If they're presented with the reality of these things, they, they will want to do something. Mm. Uh, but it's much more easy to kind of confuse and dilute that reality when, you know, we're all just pressing ahead with this. And I, again, we're getting into quite, um, it's a discussion with a lot of layers to it, but I suppose it's a topic with a lot of layers to no, it. No, it is. And you've done brilliant work in this. And to be honest, I, I and I still do, but I, I had intended my second question to almost be, what was it like seeing Haaland in the flesh? So <laughs> I'll come back to that in just one second. Can I ask you a question? You only got into minute. You didn't even get points. Uh, <laughs> 140. The arse. No way you're 140 IQ. <laughs> Off the ball. Weekdays from 7pm on OTB Sports Radio. I guess one of the one thought I had while you were talking there is that what's also very striking, and this will seem like a criticism of media, it's not it's not necessarily that, but it's certainly an observation and a question. If you're a football fan, 
And, you know, we're talking about how it started with Abu Dhabi and City and it just it just kind of blossomed uh, before our, our eyes. Yes, you can go on to the London Independent and read your pieces and seek them out. But it is very striking that you can, as a football fan, if you just consume the sport and in the main watch Sky Sports and BT Sport, if you're if you're living here or in the UK, uh, you can go from one end of the season to the other without any conversation about this issue. It may not even uh, be pointed out to you at any point that Abu Dhabi run Man City with any great uh, level of conversation. Gary Neville's done it a bit of late, but I mean, he's he's every bit as concerned, for instance, about American investment funds trying to create a Super League structure as he is about human rights. So, I, you know, I, you kind of wonder what would happen, for instance, if, if Kelly Cates turned to Roy Keane and Mick Richards yesterday and said, and, and what about the ownership structure here? Have you concerns about that as, as this uh, great behemoth blossoms in front of us and then wins their seventh league? I mean, I, I don't know what kind of conversation would happen there. The only time I remember it happening is when Newcastle had their first home game and Sky tried to deal with it quite a bit pre-match. And I think Jamie Redknapp did an interview with one of the new owners or one of the, uh, one of the staff uh, involved there. But but in the main, like, it's just not... To- you don't see it on Match of the Day. You don't see it on any of the shows talked about. And so as a fan, unless you're kind of seeking this stuff out and, and, and looking for a, a deeper um, examination of the game, you can kind of just... Try yeah. along and be fine in that respect. Now, I suppose, I mean, one of the responses I've received, and I've put that question, but I suppose it's been that ultimately they're there to talk about the football and it is light entertainment. But then, I mean, my response would be that this this directly influences what happens on the pitch. Um, you can't, when you, if, you, if you're taught, it, it's a root cause. You can't really get away from it ultimately because it has to come back around to it. Also, a lot of these shows, if you, as you mentioned, have discussed bigger issues. Um I mean, to be fair, I think say Monday Night Football they've 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 gone for it a few times. Yeah, uh, I think to, to, to give them credit in that regard. And I suppose a fair argument. And I must say, this is actually something from our perspective as well. When you when, um, and it's something I often think in that basically you say when when Manchester City or Paris Saint Germain achieve something big, and you kind of do think to yourself, well, I have to. We can't not mention this. It has to be contextualised into what this is. But equally. We can't just keep saying the same thing. Yes. Uh, so I, I, think, I think, to be fair, it's probably a difficulty for broadcasters that, as well. That is a great point because it sounds like I'm being very harsh on them there. And I, like we've even made the point ourselves. Like, do you have a ticker tape every time uh, along the bottom of the screen every time you talk about Newcastle to say we're still aware Saudi Arabia this wasn't a popular uh, takeover? Like, do you mention it every time? Like that. That's the tricky di- dilemma. Just and, I, and I, even as an example on that, I have to say as well because we've been thinking about this and talking about it as regards how we cover this World Cup. Because uh, uh, personally, I don't think it should be treated as a normal World Cup. I think all the context should be front and centre. Um, but there's suddenly quite a difficult issue there in that when we're writing about, say, Netherlands, Senegal or um, or, or, or England, um, England, Iran in like that in that first week. How do we how do we kind of bring this up? Do we put it in reports? Is that kind of um, you know, would that be jarring? Is that necessary? Or do we kind of treat the games as games, mm. mention it where natural, but also then just around your kind of regular football reporting, do, um, you know, do all the bigger stuff about what's happening on the ground there, about, you know, how this World Cup is being used. Um, but then, equal, I mean, there is the fair argument there that if you write about a report at this World Cup and just treat it as a match, that you're actually engaging in the... In the um, in sports washing, hmm. uh, which is another kind of even greatly layered uh, element to this. 
Yeah, it's tricky. Like I dare say most of the broadcasters at the outset of the World Cup, uh, I would bet money now they will all do really, really good five, ten minute insert in one of their early programmes looking at the issues with Qatar and this World Cup and we'll probably have a studio discussion off the back of it for another couple of minutes and they'll consider it kind of done, boxed away and now we get on with the football and, and... uh, they can't uh, do, uh, but they can't do that every day, you know. Another element to that, I suppose, is that we're all basically, and because this has actually come up with the World Cup as well, and the and the idea of whether players should boycott. Mm. We're basically we're all having this moral burden put on us by basically decisions taken way above our head, and which ultimately come down to the greed of the game. And, and even as regards to the Manchester City situation, it's, it still remains remarkable. Now, one of the arguments when Newcastle was taken over was that a precedent had been set, so it would have been legally very difficult to prevent the Newcastle takeover in that card because of what happened with Manchester City. But even that, it was as if in the intervening, or in the, in the, in the uh, 13 years in between, that the game had really taken no steps to actually address this issue, mm. even though it had become such a live issue in football. Um, and I, I think that's probably where some of, the, some of the bigger questions should lie, as well as, of course, kind of continued focus on what these states are intending. And it's, I mean... I mean, and again, this shouldn't be overlooked, I suppose, either. I mean, Neville's concern about the, um, you know, American capitalism. I mean, that, that was put to me by someone within football recently. It was me that the, the, the twin driving forces of football right now in 2022, what is, it, what is shaping the game are basically uh, Gulf politics. Um, and, and, so much, and so much revolves around the Gulf blockade, Qatar on one side, uh, Saudi Arabia and UAE primarily on the other. And... Uh, American capitalism uh, and yeah, return on yeah. investment, because because they and both they've both latched on to the fact that football is arguably the greatest cultural force, or sorry, the most popular cultural force that the planet has actually ever seen. In the sense that it's now crossed more borders, say, and has more popularity than you could argue even Elvis at his peak or the Beatles. Mm. And I, I genuinely don't think that's an exaggeration. Mm. Um, so to round off the chat, because I know you have to run as well, and the clock's against us. The second part of your tweet was, but not good for football. The first part was still great football. So Haaland did his thing. I mean, there were just amazing moments of this game. I think everybody had that sense when De Bruyne put that cross in for Haaland. That one, it wasn't really on. Like the corridor wasn't as inviting as it often is. The angle wasn't as good as usual. And then the finish for De Bruyne, or the finish from Haaland required this kind of elasticity and, and, and brilliance. And you're... Like you, you kind of park everything we've just talked about in a moment like that and go, holy moly! I know. Well, and, and this is the power of it, basically. This is this is why sport is being used because it's such a base interest for us that it makes, and, and because it because it is, you know, there's an innocence to it. It's that innocence being used. It's impossible not to be kind of blown away by it, not to be kind of just, you know, this is what we grew up with, and it's it's amazing to watch. That's that's part of it. And and with Hall, I mean, Ken made the point in his Irish Times piece today, basically, with that with that goal. Usually, crowds have an instinct yeah. for when, um, when they know what's going to happen just by, and kind of anticipate a goal like that. Whereas what was so remarkable about this was from both the quality of the, of the ball and the manner Haaland finished. Now, they're, they're both mercurial, really. Like, you know, in, really, footballers kind of pushing physical limits. Now, mm. phys- and I mean that in terms of kind of what most footballers are actually capable of. It, it, was, it was remarkable. And I think that's one of the most striking things about Haaland. I mean, that to look at him, you would just think he's just this big, powerful player that, that tramples over people. And he actually, in reality, even though his physique is such a remarkable or such a kind of a, an influential part of his game, it's actually probably not as influential as 
what he can do with the ball and his actual movement. Because it's, it's actually, it's, it's rare enough you see him physically overpower someone. So many of his goals actually come from the instinct for where to be uh, and how to kind of outfox defenders in that way. Even even the header was a little bit like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, great, there's that great replay in that same piece you mentioned by Ken early where he's, his eyes are locked on the ball and he's he's in and out of different people and he's just going to score it. And, and he, the movement is so clever. I mean... He, you know, even when he's turning assist provider, the way he's pulling off defenders and drifting out wide and how he's learned all this or internalized all this or, or uh, the yeah. instinct is just uh, incredible. So, like, the last bit of intrigue this season will be can he score 45 Premier League goals? Yeah, and, and also what it says about City and the Champions League, which was the one thing, because yeah. I, don't, I don't really, when we get right down to it, I don't think anyone doubts they're going to win the league with over 90 points now. Uh, but, but even that, I mean, it does make... <laughs> It suddenly puts a different spin of the last five years of Guardiola, particularly in Europe, in the sense you still get the sense that <laughs> Guardiola would rather win the league with uh, or win the European Cup with uh, a five foot eight uh, false nine who drops back into midfield and they kind of out choreograph opposition sides. Oh, yeah. Uh, whereas, whereas what, <laughs> what he's done, what they've done instead is basically just go by the biggest guarantee of goals in the game since Messi and Ronaldo at their peak. And in fact, already Haaland is scoring more than them at the same age. And he just... Oh my <laughs> God. Pe- the back of the Pep can't look himself in the eye right now. <laughs> he's disgusted. <laughs> I wouldn't, I mean... It, 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 and it almost means we're in, we're in the absurd situation where... Or you can, I think you could almost have the absurd debate where it's actually not impossible to imagine a situation where, say, I don't know, Manchester City are playing, playing Paris Saint-Germain in the Champions League semi-final. And, and this is one thing, with, with the, the one potential flaw, but it's a very, very small flaw with City this season, that because so much has been made of how uh, infrequently Haaland touches the ball, ultimately he's not really involved in play, which means, unlike most Guardiola teams, they don't have an extra forward dropping back into midfield. So, that ta- so what that has done is made them a bit more stretched and has led to actually they've conceded a few more goals, including in, in yesterday's game, even if some of that was about the fact they were 6-1 ahead. But they have been a little bit more exposed at the back and it's certainly it isn't impossible to imagine a situation where he makes a tactical decision to rest Haaland in a game because he wants more control in midfield mm. in a key game this season yeah, uh, yeah. but then maybe e- e- even allowing for for Pep's purism as a manager purism as a manager in that in that way um I'd say it'd be even very difficult for him yes. to do that somebody Haaland. in the staff will say I hate to, I hate to overrule you, but even we, we just every one of us. This is an intervention. It'll be an intervention. Um, thank you so much. Much appreciated, Miguel. Thank you. No, cheers, Joe. See thank you. you, Miguel Delaney. There, whose work you can read on the Independent uh, website. The football show is brought to you by Sky. Watch every live Premier League game this season on Sky Sports, BT Sport, and Premier Sports. Back in one sec. Football on Off The Ball With Sky Watch all the football you love Including the biggest Premier League games Every weekend Live on Sky 